This podcast is sponsored by Stratus. Stratus Foods is the industry partner you can depend on when you're looking for the very best in fats and oils. Our team of expert researchers, developers, and innovators have helped countless businesses just like yours bring their most delicious menus to life. With products that are reliable, sustainable, and ready to meet any challenge, you can fry, bake, saute, and grill with confidence. Stratus Foods, we've got you covered. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Extra Serving, a restaurant industry podcast, a product of Nation's Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Holly Petri, here with the latest episode. And now it's time to introduce my two lovely co-hosts for this episode. My name is Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of Nation's Restaurant News. And my name is Leanne Zinsmeister, Managing Editor of Nation's Restaurant News. We are very patriotic today uh, for no reason. (laughs) Nobody who's listening to this as a podcast will understand. Do you want to explain, Holly? Do you want to explain? Oh, we are all wearing a red, white, and blue accidentally. No, I'm wearing. That's not wearing white. (laughs) I was about to explain that. I was about to explain that I'm the white, Leanne is the red, and Sam is the blue. Saying it like that just sounds pretty strange, but yeah, here we are. Totally unintentional, but gave Holly podcast intro fodder. So there you go. That's why we did it. You guys are so boring. Wow. Jeez. (laughs) And on that note, I'm out of here. (laughs) You're going to use that as a segue somehow, Holly? Oof. No, I have no segue today. I have no segue into anything. Um, I'm just going to start out with the news. Look at that. Wow. Wow. I I know. Very proper of me. Professional. Very professional. It's very unlike me. Our audience doesn't know what to do with themselves right now. (laughs) To be fair, we did talk for 20 minutes before this podcast started recording. So uh, professionalism has lowered the bar. So we We had to get the crazy out of our system before we hit record. And I think we did our audience a favor in that regard. A hundred percent. So Wendy's has entered the metaverse. Uh, which is very exciting. They haven't just entered the metaverse in terms of getting a trademark the same way a lot of other companies have. They have opened a new restaurant. Well, they will open it tomorrow. Today's April 1st. It is not a joke. None of the stuff that we are talking about on this podcast is a joke today, April 1st. Um, I don't believe in April Fool's Day, personally. Um, I think it's fake. We should, we should we should probably add that nobody in the media believes in April Fool's Day because yes. if you're a publicist and you send us an April Fool's joke, you will end up on our list of don't ever do stories with them again because it's the worst thing you can do to a journalist. And we are all on high alert for your very silly stories on April 1st. There's also been just no restaurant news at all today. Like this morning, everyone was like, I haven't heard from anyone on my beat today. And it's because people are afraid to announce literally anything lest we decide it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Wendy's is entering Metaverse tomorrow, I guess not to be, not to be confused with anything happening today. So they announced it uh, on Wednesday Mm -hmm. and they will enter the Metaverse on Saturday with this new restaurant um, in the Metaverse 2.0. Um, that's going to be a way for people to interact with each other, interact with the brand. Um, it's going to be like it, to me, it sounds almost like a really cool video game, but with real life components. I mean, as somebody who grew up in the nineties, don't you mock that Sam? Um, 
I grew up in the nineties too. Thank you. Jeez. Um, you, you grew up in the latter half of the nineties. That's though. why I was that's saying, the, don't you mock yeah. that. But like, it reminds me of like, this is going to be a reference for someone who's my age, which I realize is not a lot of our listeners, but it reminds me of like Neopets being in the metaverse. This whole idea of like a virtual restaurant reminds me of Neopets so much. Is that like Tamagotchi? No, it was an online website where you went in and there was like these, there was, it was basically like a virtual world. You just didn't use virtual reality glasses. You were, it was just a website. So it was in like, whatever that was called, whatever version of the internet that was called. I guess just web one. We're on web three now. That was web one, maybe. (laughs) But you just went and there was like different restaurants and you'd buy food with like this virtual money. Um, But you wouldn't actually get the food in real life. But with the metaverse, you're going to be getting food in real life. So that's you can. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That that is the metaverse. Yes. But are we talking about Neopets or are we talking about metaverse? I'm, no, we're I'm, talking about Wendy's. We're talking about Wendy's. We can talk okay. about the Wendy's verse is what they're calling it. The Wendy's yeah, Wendy's verse. So Which, by and the way, look, you had CEO, we had the CEO on your podcast this week, Sam, as well, just I to sure plug did. the now, podcast. Thank you. Yes, on Takeaway with Sam Ocas, I spoke with Todd Penagor, the CEO of Wendy's. Unfortunately, we spoke before the announcement for the Wendyverse, so we did not get into that. Um, so more to come on the Wendyverse stuff. But yes, go go listen to that. I mean, look, we've t- been talking about Metaverse for weeks now, um, months really. Um, and, and I think everybody recognizes the potential of the Metaverse, which is, as you describe, Holly, essentially like a video game, but it is a virtual world that is you know, as I understand it, the metaverse is one virtual world. It's not just uh, you get in on a video game and, you know, it's just you hanging out there. And it's and it's it's beyond just being on the Internet. I mean, you are you are immersed in this world. Um, and what I respect about Wendy's move here is that, to your point, Holly, we've been hearing a lot about restaurant companies that are filing for trademarks in the in the metaverse because so far the metaverse has been a future thing. Everybody's talking about the the metaverse as a thing to come later that you need to be paying attention to now. Wendy's, what they've done is they have made an investment now, which is the biggest investment so far I've seen from any restaurant company to say we're gonna make our mark here. They've got virtual restaurant. You can play games. You can interact with other customers. You have a, an immersive Wendy's experience in the metaverse, which no, I don't think any other restaurant company re- is really doing now. Now, you know, talking about the potential of metaverse, again, you can get into talking about virtual food halls and, you know, these experiences that go beyond simply walking in a restaurant ordering food. But you can also order food, have it delivered to you in the real world, of course. Um, and and the potential is in, incredible. And what Wendy's is doing is tapping into that potential. I have my reservations, but I'll let Leanne weigh in first before I get into that. Yeah, for sure. Just to build on that point, Sam, this is also one of the first times that we've seen representatives from Meta, formerly Facebook, commenting on what Wendy's is doing. And the comments are very positive. You know, the the gist of what they're saying at Meta is this is what we've envisioned for the metaverse, like what Wendy's is doing is really building out on our vision. And there's even a quote in this story um, that you can read on NRN.com about how, you know, there's so much that the metaverse can be and that Wendy's is really starting to tap into that potential. And I think the fact that, you know, their press release included quotes from meta executives just goes to show that this is really, they're really doing this 
in a way that the other big restaurant chains have not yet invested in this. Space. Yeah, for Meta as a company, Meta wants to, you know, they they want to own the metaverse. I mean, they want to be the access point to the metaverse, and so it's in their best interest to show major retailers how to do that. I mean, that's why this partnership makes sense that Wendy's and Meta are the Meta have worked together to to do this. Um, to show other restaurants what is possible. And a lot of what we're seeing from restaurant companies right now is just planting flags. It is saying, you know, by filing a trademark, it is, it's your, I mean, there's virtual real estate essentially to be bought mm -hmm. here. And if you don't do it now, you're not going to have a chance to do it. Or somebody could own your brand in the um, metaverse before you do. And so that's what a lot of the action is now. My reservations about all this, um, at least currently, are, you know, first off, access is extremely limited. I don't know about you guys, but I don't have a virtual headset. Now, I, I feel like an old fart. I don't really want a virtual headset. Someday, I'm sure I'll have to get a virtual headset because everybody's doing it. And certainly, my kids are going to want one. But you, there's the, the, the immersing yourself in the metaverse, you need this virtual headset. I think you can do a version of it online, but probably not as cool. I mean, you're playing The Sims, essentially, when you do it on, in the, um, on the internet. Um, but, you know, that's my other reservation, too, is just like, quality wise and i get that we're you know there's still so much that you just kind of have to start and then you have to iterate and you got to kind of build this collectively over time but right now quality wise i don't know if you guys have watched any clips of people doing metaverse stuff i've done a little bit of this it's really bad technology right? it just it looks like clunky like uh, I, i'm moving in the metaverse how cool is this and um it, it's we're just so early so i just question how popular it will be now but I do respect and understand why it has to happen now in order for it to be cool and something people want to do in the future. Yeah, I think it's worth stating. So you're right. There is like a they're calling it a viewer only version online. So you can like, I guess, watch other people be in the Wendyverse. Um, but they did specifically say that if you're using the viewer only version, you can still access the marketing promos that come along with this. So like if you're in the Wendyverse, you can order actual Wendy's food at a discount, there are certain deals and promos and they're making those things available to viewers as well, which I mean, for now, that's probably the most Wendy's can hope for is to, you know, it, use it as a marketing ploy um, for now. But yeah, they're, they're getting in there. And I mean, that's all really, I think anybody could do at this point, so. I mean, the technology's come a long, long way since, so when I was in college, uh, I don't know, seven, seven years ago, I was, I realized that's not that long ago, but um, I went to art school. And so I had friends who were dabbling in the virtual reality element. That was a, a major at my school. Um, and so people were dabbling in virtual reality and the, the technology has come so far from what I saw seven years ago with the virtual headset on to now being able to actually have brands in a metaverse where things are communicating with each other. Um, like in just seven years for all of that to have happened, I think that we're gonna progress greatly in the next few years to the point where it won't be as clunky. Like it was really clunky back then um, in terms of like the way that people move, the way that things look, the way that sometimes things glitched. Um, I mean, there are always gonna be glitches when it comes to things like that, but I can only imagine what the technology is going to do now that there's a real focus on it. And now that everybody is looking towards the metaverse as the future. Sure. Yeah. I think it'll continue to improve and only get better. I mean, 
in terms of other technology, I mean, the way we have these conversations and record our podcast on Zoom is something I couldn't have imagined 10 years ago. There's, you know, there was video technology and recording technology, but it was nothing like it is today. So I'm sure it's only going to continue to improve and grow into something that we can't fathom right now. And, and to that end, I mean, again, to reiterate the point, you just because it's clunky or not as cool as it could be yet does not mean you should not be exploring it because as Wendy's has, has shown, like you need to make your presence known now you need to take ownership of your corner of the metaverse now. And I think this is true of everybody from independence on up to big chains. Now I couldn't tell you how to go about doing this. I don't know what restaurants need to go do. The trademark is obviously, you know, a first place to go, but you should be kicking the tires of metaverse now because, you know, kids today up through, you know, Gen Z, this is going to be a very normal experience for them 10 years from now, maybe less. And so if you think your business is going to be around then, and you are not already looking at this, you're already behind the curve because this is just going to be so dominant, much in the ways that the internet has, has become dominant from, you know, in just the past 20 years. I could see somebody in the future. This is just me imagining something that I think that this is one of the futures of what the metaverse theoretically could be is that somebody could be playing a video game and literally while they're playing a video game, walk into a Wendy's in the metaverse, get a meal delivered to them while they're still playing the game and then, and be waiting for the meal while the game is still going on and get it delivered while all while they have their virtual headset on, but the meal comes to them in real life. I mean, I think that's, that could be a future for the metaverse is that like somebody could be doing something virtually and just, you know, stumble into a Wendy's without ever having to leave their home. I hope to cool. God that they, they can see where they're walking if they're walking <laughs> into a restaurant. <laughs> I, I, we got a lot of social mores to figure out with virtual reality. So that all that is all to come uh, later. All right. Well, let's talk about something else this week that's not the metaverse. Uh, I feel like we are we talk about the metaverse all the time, but um, we have to. It's the future of what we're doing. But. Something else that's the future, or this brand seems to think is the future of fast casual, is Smashburger's new uh, concept. They have a new full service location that they just opened, um, and they called it the future of fast casual uh, when they spoke with Joanna Fantosi. Um, and so it, it's really interesting that a fast casual concept is actually moving in the opposite direction because we've seen quite the opposite during the pandemic. We've seen full service models move to fast casual. Um, we haven't really seen the opposite. Um, so I'm interested in what you guys think about this transition and what it means for, for the future of fast casual. Yeah, I think it's um, part of a bigger trend of like the lines starting to blur between segments generally. Um, you know, fast casual chains are elevating their offerings, whether it's the menu or the experience in the restaurant, casual dining restaurants are, you know, opening drive-throughs and things like that. And things are kind of moving in both directions. I think this is a move that makes a lot of sense for Smashburger, you know, as a burger concept, it feels easy for them to transition into that like sports bar vibe, which feels like what they're going for. They've got, um, so they've got a full service bar with like flat screen TVs, playing sports all the time. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it makes sense. Apparently the next full service. So the first full service smash burger is in Denver. The next one is opening here in New York city near Madison square garden. So that's fully like sports bar vibes <laughs> that they're going for. And I think that makes sense uh, for this concept. Holly, are you really excited about this? I mean, like, I, it's a perfect location for them to open up a full-service smash burger is right by Madison Square Garden. Like, it, you couldn't have picked a better location. And Holly yeah. just wants to go film some video there and get some uh, video of the experience do, and but... maybe a free drink or two while she's at it. <laughs> but I believe that there was supposed to be a transition about Cleveland sports somewhere <laughs> in the video. Yeah, so the if we uh, want this to derail, we can get into. I mean, if you want us to get off track, I think we're fully capable. Uh, Yes, so the bars have flat screen TVs behind them playing. I mean, the press release says, you know, playing the latest sports events and news at all times. Um, We asked, as we always do, for Smashburger to send us a photo of this bar in action and the photo that we got was taken in the moment which we know because of the cleveland browns news that is displayed um yes, so sam and i sp- immediately both went "Ooh, this is just now <laughs> yeah if you if you want to if you want to um learn how to get a publication if you're a publicist and you want to know how to get your publication some fresh photos give them one where Something's on TV that just happened, which in this case was Deshaun Watson's press conference uh, for the Cleveland Browns, which not but two or three hours later, we had this image of on our website. And um, I don't know how much further I should go down the the Deshaun Watson rabbit hole because there's lots of thoughts on that. But anywho, that's a different uh, podcast. (laughs) That's a different podcast. Sports and bars and Smashburger. Um, Look, Smash, you know, booze in Fast Casual is not new um, in that way before the pandemic, you know, fast casuals were looking at um, booze as being something to really increase their experience. Holly, you and I were just in Hop Dottie in Austin, had a full bar. Um, you know, a lot of brands have planted their flag in this. But I th- think one thing I'd point out with Smashburger is here's a brand that, you know, last year, two years ago, I forget, um, you know, was introducing a new prototype with drive through cubby lo- uh, locker system, um, you know, which was actually more going the other direction, which was all about convenience and speed. And what I think is an interesting point to make here is that um, there's no one right model. And to Leanne's point, the lines are blurring that, you know, anymore you can have a, a small footprint, no dining room, drive through locker kind of element, pop it into a smaller footprint in a suburb. Then you can drop a full bar, full service experience near Madison Square Garden. You can make these decisions based on your real estate and on the audience, the demographic nearby. And um, and you shouldn't necessarily box yourself into one place. But yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, they seem to be with this prototype going away from convenience. But I think there's something can be said, especially, especially as you see so many casual dining brands doing very well right now. People still want an experience. They want to go out and enjoy themselves and have an experience. And so you can meet them there. And if you're a brand that can also meet them on the other side of things with a convenience, then all the better. So it's just interesting to see. And I'll be curious to see if more brands decide to kind of have the diversity of models like Smashburger seems to be going for. I'm somebody who loves an experience. I went the other night to my restaurant downstairs below where I live. Just sat at the bar by myself to get a meal made friends with the woman next to me. We wound up talking for like an hour and a half. Like you don't get that if you're just at a fast casual. And I love a fast casual for a quick meal, 
but there's something about just going to a restaurant and having an experience and just like getting the hospitality and just being able to experience people again. And after being trapped for so long, I just feel like a lot of us are like me and we just want to like, we're itching to get out and just be around humans. There's no one size fits all. I mean, people yeah. have different experiences according to different moods. You know, you could call it a need state. What's my need state? At lunch, my need state might be a quick, you know, takeout order. At happy hour, it might be I want that experience, um, you know, breakfast, whatever. So so if customers have different need states throughout the day, week, month, year, then if you can meet as many of those need states as possible, then you can truly win because you're you are meeting them there no matter what that that mood might be that they're in well ready for this transition oh boy you were no. just talking about winning now we could talk about someone losing oof, oof. been worse could have been yeah. could have been a lot worse <laughs> considering the story worse. we're about to talk about that's tame i'll allow it <laughs> <laughs> uh so we're going to talk about this viral applebee's email um this was our most popular story of the week um, it was a viral email that sparked a lot of backlash. Um, it was about lowering wages in light of gas prices going up. It was from a local manager. So it wasn't a big company wide email. It was not, you know, it did not come from corporate. Um, but it sparked a lot of social media outrage. What do you guys think? May, may this first and foremost be a lesson that you do not say things you don't want to, I had a manager once tell me, imagine that every email you say on a billboard, if you don't want what you're saying in an email to be on a billboard someday, don't say it. Um, and this is an example of that, which is the theory this uh, manager floated was that with higher gas prices, there would be an increase in job applications with the increase in job applications. They thought maybe we can lower wages because in their head, they thought, oh, great, we get more leverage back. There's more demand for work and we can give. So then we can pay less. And um, that was a foolish theory and uh, unfortunately sparked all of this backlash. Yeah, my first thought was exactly the same. I mean, I said this on Slack when we were just talking about whether we should cover it, which is like, this is a lesson that like, you don't have to say every thought out loud and you certainly don't have to type it up and email it to someone in your company. Uh, so setting aside the fact that like the theory is wrong and you should treat your workers well, like full stop, not just because there's a labor crunch and you're desperate for workers, but you should just treat people well. Um, even if you feel differently, you just you keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. That's really short and, and sweet. Guess, and I guess <laughs> if, if we want to also take a step back and look at this from the restaurant perspective in just terms of why that was a bad thing to say, you sure. know, uh, I mean, look, yes. I mean, everybody is pinched right now. You know, you want to pay lower wages because uh, of rising costs and inflation. And so we get it. But, um, you know, again, everything's kind of a leverage thing right now, which is the workers have more leverage right now because unemployment is low and because you know companies need workers more than workers need jobs and so um you know naturally that is going to be tough on restaurants restaurants especially restaurants suffer the most from something like that um but yeah your solution should not be trying to figure out how to game the system as per particularly when it comes to wages that's a pretty sensitive thing now we've talked about this on the podcast before you know you should pay responsible wages 
end of story. You shouldn't figure out how to cheat your customers out of, or your employees out of wages just to save you a penny. So that's why this also, from a restaurant perspective is just like, you know, don't, don't figure out how you can pull one over on your employees, figure out how to work with them, pay them responsibly and work with them. And by the way, make it a good place to work. And then you wouldn't have to be having conversations around, Ooh, here's an easy win for us to lower wages. Yeah. Especially in the context of really his point was it's great that gas prices are going up, which opens up like a whole other can of worms, but yeah. <laughs> it was super bizarre. It was just so bizarre and it got leaked. And you know what? You just need to always realize that stuff like this can get leaked because you never know who's on the other end or who's reading it or who has access to your email. A lot of our emails are probably looked at by people we don't even know can, can look at them or will look at them. Um, and so it's just always being cautious of what you put in writing. You should also always say nice things to people um, as well. You should, you should be nice in person as well. Um, but you shouldn't be- On that note, be nice. <laughs> be nice to people. Be nice. Yeah. Be nice over email. Be nice in person. Um, just, you know, think about how you'd want to be treated. Like, would you want your wages to be lowered, sir, manager? because the gas prices are up? Probably not. So, you know, just try to think the way that you'd want to be treated. It's like a real like kindergarten level lesson that I feel a lot of people need to be retaught. You tell them, Holly. Thank you very much. <laughs> and on that note, I will get to this week's interview, which is Thomas DeGeest. Uh, he is the founder of Waffles and Dingies. It is a New York City-based chain uh, that offers Belgian waffles. They are delicious. Um, they have a lot of non-traditional locations. Uh, it's very interesting, but they are just starting to franchise. This podcast is sponsored by Stratus. Stratus Foods is the industry partner you can depend on when you're looking for the very best in fats and oils. Our team of expert researchers, developers, and innovators have helped countless businesses just like yours bring their most delicious menus to life. With products that are reliable, sustainable, and ready to meet any challenge, you can fry, bake, saute, and grill with confidence. Stratus Foods, we've got you covered. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the concept and what, what it is to somebody who has never, ever been to a Waffles and Dingies before? Okay, well, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, so Waffles and Dingus is, is really, it's, it's a beautiful creation. Um, it's a family business and we are, if you're on, we are a waffle business, but interestingly enough, we are not just a breakfast business. So we, we actually do 80% of our volume in the dessert space and a little bit in the morning in a breakfast space. What we specialize in is Waffles with a Belgian accent, if you like. Um, you know, it's the real legit Liège waffle from the city of Liège in Belgium. So if you go to Belgium, you'll probably find uh, waffles on every corner of the street. They're kind of like New York hot dogs, but then in Belgium, they're waffles. Uh, so it's a real street food. Um, people love to grab them as a snack in the afternoon, late night, you name it. Uh, and that's really what we do. Um, we've got a phenomenal recipe that we've developed over the years. 
We're uh, making our dough uh, locally in the United States. Uh, we have, there's a few ingredients we import from Belgium. And, uh, and then we put dingus on the waffles. Uh, you're going to ask me what are dingus. <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's called waffles and dingus. Uh, we spell waffles the wrong way, the Flemish way, because that's what we speak in Belgium. We speak Flemish and French. Uh, and dingus are, uh, is a Belgian slang word. It means uh, stuff, uh, whatchamacallit. Uh, it's, it's used for the toppings we put on the waffles. So you can get strawberry dingus, banana dingus, you know, chocolate dingus, whipped cream dingus, you name it. Uh, so we, we top the waffles with uh, real, um, you know, unique and, and high quality toppings. And uh, people can build their own waffle uh, or they can choose one of our, you know, legendary combinations that we've developed over the years in New York. And parabin, parabin, you have a, a wonderful breakfast, dessert, afternoon snack, late night snack, you name it. Well, so I've been to Brussels before, and I remember coming back from Brussels and having to go to a Waffles and Dingies. I'm from New York. I live in New York. And I was like, I need to go to a Waffles and Dingies because I just experienced this in Brussels and I needed it in New York. I needed to come back and eat, eat a waffle on the street. You, you crave it. And it's, it's so craveable. It, it, it totally is. Um, it smells incredibly good. <laughs> uh, you know, it, is it a, is the vanilla flavoring? It's the caramelization of the pearl sugar. So we make our waffles with uh, imported pearl sugar. Pearl sugar is actually special because it's um, it's made from sugar beets, which is not really a regular thing in the United States. Uh, so uh, and it's a very hard sugar with a very high melting point, and that allows us to bake the waffles at much higher temperature without burning the sugar. So yeah, super craveable. <laughs> I still eat them every week. Um, and um, you know, in addition to the waffles, we also serve a few other things. We're, uh, we're famous for our hot chocolate. Uh, obviously being Belgian, being a Belgian company, chocolate is a big deal. And uh, our uh, you know, hot chocolate has quite a few times won best of New York City. Uh, so that's great. And then we also, um, as a topping, we, we are sort of one of the first companies that really brought uh, this thing to the market, which is called Spicolus. Spicolus, it's, it's, uh, it's, to say it in a simple way, it's a spread that looks like peanut butter, but has no peanut. It's actually made from traditional Belgian cookies that are called Spicolus cookies. So we do all things uh, speculous, uh, whether it is the, the cookie spread that we put on the waffle, whether it is the ice cream. Uh, so it's like a cookies and cream, but with Belgian cookies. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we do a shake, phenomenal shake, milkshake with, with speculous. Uh, so that's, that's really one of our things that we're very proud of is that, you know, we've got that great Belgian hot chocolate and we've got all things speculous, shake, ice cream, the spread, you name it. Yeah. What is menu development like there? I mean, it sounds like you have a really robust and chef-driven menu. What is it like to, to think of all these menu ideas there? It's, it sounds like all the ingredients are so fresh and so well thought out. Well, well yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Um, so we, we like to think of ourselves as um, not compromising uh, and setting a very high bar for all of the ingredients. Um, and 
So if you, for instance, if you look at our menu and our selection of toppings, and then we've chosen to go with real strawberries, fresh strawberries, not frozen strawberries. We've chosen to go with imported Belgian chocolate fudge and not, let's say, local brands. Uh, we've chosen to go with real whipped cream that we make ourselves as opposed to from the can. Um, maple syrup is from Vermont. We don't use corn syrup. And the list goes on and on and on. So that's our mindset. Our mindset is if we're going to serve it, it has to be top notch. Um, let's not cut corners in anything. I mean, there is a certain sense of Belgian slash European pride in, in the fact that we can really bring great things to the world. And, um, and that's really part of our DNA. Yeah. Well, there's also a little bit of New York pride in there too. I got to say. <laughs> well, well, yeah. You know what? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe because we, we were really, you know, the brand was born and raised in New York too. Right on the streets of New York. Um, I, I started in 2007 when I, I, I one day I quit my job uh, as, a, as an IBM consultant and I started with my wife, Rosanna. I started this company and became a street founder in New York. So we, we ducked it out in the streets of, of Manhattan and uh, we, you know, it was at times pretty rough. But uh, one thing we learned is that, you know, don't ever try to fool a New York customer. So just don't try. They know. They know that you're either serving the best possible ingredients uh, or they know they're trying to trick them. And, and, and so that's, we chose to just really uh, try to conquer our place in the hearts and minds of, of New Yorkers uh, by, by being top notch. And, uh, and I think that's part of the magic of the brand that has stuck as we expand across the country is that, you know, that, that philosophy is still there. What is it like going from starting as a street vendor to, you know, beginning an expansion? How, how has that journey been? Oh my God. Well, um, starting out as a street vendor has been an amazing gift, really. Uh, it was hard. Um, you know, I can tell you there's, there's a thousand vendors fighting it out every day in the streets of New York. Uh, there's sometimes there's turf fights, sometimes it gets a little rough. Um, it's, it's a very competitive, you know, place. Because the, the, so, um, but eventually, we, I think we made lots and lots of friends uh, in, in the business. And, and, you know, we, we, we can proudly say that we're, we're part of the big family of street vendors in New York that counts. Uh, Guys like the Hollow guys, for instance, they were there too. They started that too. Uh, there's there's other concepts. Uh, Mexico, for instance, is another concept that started out as street vendor. So it's a great learning school. Um, you learn to operate in a simple way because you're in a truck. Uh, you learn to operate fast, efficiently, and uh, most of all, you learn to uh, you learn to sell, uh, which is you know you learn to. What, one second you're facing a, you know, a high-powered Wall Street lawyer, and the next second, you know, you're you're dealing with somebody with an entirely different background, and uh, you you learn to switch. And one one thing that I've personally taken away from the streets of New York is that you really learn to love 
every customer and have fun with every customer and you learn that you can make a difference in people's day no matter who they are no matter where they come from and now you know it's street vendors are also about location 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 now so you've had to pick a lot of locations as you've grown what is that like oh my god that's that's such a good point i mean in the streets of manhattan we learned that you know eight foot closer to the crosswalk or farther away from the crosswalk can make a world of difference in your sales. It's nuts. Um, we've also learned that, um, you know, to get good spots, because we eventually we moved away from food trucks. We still have food trucks and most of our food trucks really do a lot of private parties, believe it or not. Um, our business is great uh, with the food trucks. is great for you know weddings, bar mitzvahs, uh, corporate parties. We do a lot of movie sets in the movie industry in New York too. Um, but eventually, you know, because we were street vendors, we learned to be really good operators in public spaces, right? And that's that was our ticket to starting to work with the Parks Department of New York City. So we started getting pre-assigned spots in places like Central Park by the Brooklyn Bridge, all these super iconic uh, you know, locations in New York that you can only dream of operating in. We were able to get deals with these uh, agencies, if you like, uh, some public, some private agencies, including Times Square, where we were invited to operate in those places because we had shown that we could operate efficiently in small square footage, um, you know, high traffic public spaces. And we were clean operators, we were fun operators, we were people who were reliable and so on and so forth. So again, very grateful for our uh, you know, humble beginnings in the 1960 <laughs> Chevy truck in, uh, in New York City, yeah. So stay clean, have good operations, make friends, and that's how you can get in some of these good spots. So you just got to be a good operator. I, I think, yes. I mean, I think um, a lot of these deals are not traditional real estate deals. We, we are moving with our company. We're starting to move towards more traditional real estate deals as well. Uh, uh, an example is, for instance, our, our first location outside of New York was uh, Mall of America. Mm -hmm. which is super iconic as well. <laughs> um, I think they looked at us and they said, wow, these guys have a phenomenal reputation in their home market. Um, and look, let's bring them here. And so we're now there in Mall of America with a beautiful store. Uh, it's doing really well. Um, so yeah, um, be a good operator. I mean, make sure you're, you're open on time and make sure you serve your, your customers and Keep everything clean and, and nice. Yeah. <laughs> have a good reputation, basically. You got to have a good reputation. It's everything. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, the reputation, ultimately the reputation you build with your customers. I mean, it's, uh, for, for us, um, it sort of came as a natural thing that we're trying to do two things. There's really two values that, that drive our company. And the, the first value really is we want to be absolutely uncompromising on product quality. So, you know, when if you're going to look for a Belgian waffle, uh, a Liège style Belgian waffle in the United States, uh, I think we are the place. And, and 
the reason why I dare to say that is because uh, we have a lot of Belgian customers uh, who who um, come to us and who actually say, "Dang, you know, these guys, it's it's like home." So the, when when I get that from a Belgian, who are you know, typically <laughs> pretty critical customers, believe me, um, yeah, you know, I'm like, okay, this is good. This is this is really nice. Um, then the second value we have, aside from you know being uncompromising on product qualities, we really try to. You know, we're selling waffles. At the end of the day, we're selling waffles. We're selling ice cream shakes. Um, people don't necessarily come to us because they are hungry. If they're coming because they're hungry, they're going to get a burger or they're going to get a falafel or what have you. People come to us because you know they're with a friend and they're going to indulge for a moment, right? So. We, the wonderful thing about our business is that we we get people in a very happy mindset already. And our second value is that really we try to touch uh, we, we try to touch people uh, in their humanity. We try to just really uh, make it more than a transaction. I mean, they're there. People are already very receptive, uh, and so a moment of kindness, uh, a moment of genuine human interest in how your day is going and all the fun stuff you're up to i think that is phenomenal to add to the waffle and and so that's really our second value is you know insert a little bit of humanity in your transaction please because why, why not right and when you do that and you make that effort um you know that's how you build a reputation really hospitality is key that. Hospitality is always key. Hospitality, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Even with waffles, even <laughs> with something as, see, even with something as waffly as a waffle, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a wonderful opportunity. And it's, it's also what helps, um, it, it, it's something that helps with employer retention. It, it, people really do feel, you know, when they work with our team, they do feel that, um, they're making a difference uh, in, in the world. Yeah. So um, it's, it's sometimes uh, we, we try to go beyond just the transaction. You give me money, I give you food. It's, it's not like that. And so what, what is an employee day life? What is an employee's day like? at waffles and dinghies. I mean, you guys talk about, you talk about how your locations aren't exactly traditional. What is it like to be an employee there? Right. Um, so our, the, the interesting thing I think about working at waffles and dinghies is that our people learn how to become craftsmen in their trade. Um, and I'd like to think that that's, part of what sets us apart as an employer is that we have not been able and, or we have not been willing to dumb down um, the food prep to a level where it's fully automated with timers and, and robots and what have you. I mean, we are baking, you know, 60, 70 pound cast iron waffle makers that you know are the same principle as 150 200 years ago being used in europe um and baking and proofing dough because we're, we're not baking from batter we're actually baking from a waffle dough that's yeasted it has to rise it has to be at the perfect point it has to be you know 
baked at the right temperature. There's a lot of things, a lot of parameters that you cannot capture in automation. And so I think our people are amazing craftsmen in cranking out these beautiful, perfect waffles and they make it look so easy, but they all go through, you know, two, three, four, five months of, of training to really get those waffles to perfection. And they're very proud when they come out and they look good. And then, you know, when, they, when they put the toppings on the waffle, there's, there's, you know, they make it even look better. So craftsmanship is a big part of what makes our people proud of working at Waffles and Wings. They work at all stations. Um, there's not per se, uh, they're usually smaller operations that have you know, smaller kiosks that are between 200 and 400 square feet. Um, it's not like we have 17 people working in a unit. It's usually, you know, between two and four people working in a unit. Um, and so they, you know, it's fun because they get to rotate stations and they get to learn everything. Uh, it's a very empowering environment. Really. It seems very empowering. They get to really learn how to cook and how to, how to do these things. They get to learn skills. It, it's a real skill. It's a real, I mean, it's craftsmanship the old school way. And, um, you know, gosh, I mean, maybe one day someone figures out how to do this in a fully automated way. I have been doing this for 15 years and I'm still sticking to my craftsmanship. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how this industry evolves. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, really, we're, we're at the top of the waffle game, I think, in, in terms of, um, these traditional dessert style Belgian waffles, yeah. So let's talk about growth. Everybody loves to hear about growth. What are some of your plans? We want waffles and dinghies everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so we, we've, you know, like, like some companies, we've made a few mistakes along the way and we're, we're happy to, uh, we're, we're happy to talk about those uh, as a matter of fact, because they've, they've taught us a lot. Um, we are now, we've been in business for 15 years. We've, we've gone through a variety of iterations in our, in our model, um, from, uh, we, we, we even used to have a, uh, a brunch cafe with savory waffles and this and then the other, um, we've seen it all. And we eventually we've distilled it down to what really works well in a small compact space. Uh, so where we are today is really a reflection of many, many, many years of experience in this business. And we're ready to grow. So um, we're super excited because we actually, um, at this very moment, um, talking to a number of you know, candidates, uh, franchisees in, in all over the country. Um, and um, so that's, I think that's really a beautiful model for us because we're looking for people to bring their own passion uh, into this business. And ideally, I mean, this is, a, I'm gonna say, uh, this is a concept that requires it's, it's, it's at the right location. Um, so there's a couple of things we're looking for. We're looking for high pedestrian traffic, okay? Um, and not just high pedestrian traffic, that traffic, we prefer that traffic to be more in a recreational mindset, okay? So a, a commuter hub may not necessarily be uh, the right formula because people are, you know, 
rushing in and out. I mean, they may be on their way home, they may be on their way to work, they may not have time to stop. So we're looking for high pedestrian traffic in the recreational mindset. Um, you know, places like tourist hubs uh, are great. Uh, places like really uh, um, lifestyle centers, shopping, you know, AKA shopping malls that have been embellished with all kinds of other bells and whistles. Um, those type of places are the places where people typically can take time to share a waffle, to stop and, and you know, smell the waffles. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that is happening right now. And we're uh, super excited to see uh, our first couple of franchises take off very soon. Well, that is so exciting. Thomas de Geest, mm-hmm. thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, it was such a pleasure. And um, I'm going to say, uh, we also ship the waffles nationwide, believe it or not. So you can go to uh, a website, waffles, spelled the wrong way, W-A-F-E-L-S.com. And that's where you're going to find uh, information about franchising. And you're also going to be able to actually order a couple of samples uh, if you're interested in tasting what the, the real deal tastes like. That's Thank great. You. That's great. Everybody go to that website and order some waffles. <laughs> <laughs> great. All right. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.